evening and welcome to another episode of Monsters and Murder. I'm Sam. And I'm Shane. And <laughs> it has been a day. I like it's been a really good day for me, mm-hmm. actually. Like really good day. Because I had a four-day weekend and then got back to work. I was super busy today, which is fun. Um, but that means I only have a three-day work week. And yes. then it's the weekend. And, and I think I want to make an apple pie this weekend or something. Oh, you should. Actually, you should make an apple pie. That'd be really good. Because yeah. <laughs> I did pumpkin bread last weekend. I thought that turned out really well. Mm-hmm. It did. I, I liked it. Um, I liked it better than the ones I've done in the past because this time I put the pumpkin seeds on top and it was really nice. Yes, I really enjoy those pumpkin seeds being on top of it. Yeah. Like it, it was very good in general, but I just really liked the addition of those. Yeah. And I made some chili. I feel like my, um, as an adult, like now my memories or my getting excited about things. Like obviously mm-hmm. I want to do like a pumpkin patch, and but I get most excited about the food at the holidays, even like, you know, Halloween, yes. get very excited about the Halloween candy and then like making chili and mm-hmm. cold weather food. Yes, we, we do need to, I think about that the other day, I'm like, I've not done any corn mazes, I've not done haunted houses, I've not done anything Halloween-ish. I don't even know what I mean for Halloween yet. <laughs> I watched some scary movies. Well, yes. a couple. I haven't watched a ton. I'll probably do another one this weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm reading, a, I'm reading a scary book that's like a sl- slasher book you know like slasher movies like scream and it's so good i've been listening to a new it's not new it's new to me a new Mm -hmm. podcast i'll have to fit like look it up and tell you what this called because i think you'll like it but it's just a bunch of um ghost stories Ooh, and it's really really good like it's a change from me normally listening to true crime Mm -hmm. um or self-help and the ghost (laughs) stories are they're really, some of them are really scary. Like, I don't listen to them unless you are home or it's <laughs> in the daytime. Nice. Yes, definitely. Give me the name of that one, please. I'll add it to my rotation that keeps growing, which is great of podcasts. I'm always consuming some sort of media. But I will next week talk about this, but I've discovered the Britney Spears Mandela effect, and I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> okay, I, I did see something. Did you? Not about the Mandela effect, but I did see something um, uh, that Britney's new memoir is coming out. Yes. And everything that's going on with that. I'm like, man, like, Justin Timberlake is just a garbage <laughs> human being. Like, he was so mean to her. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's not going to do him any good. And and today I actually read an article that said, this is how he responded. He did. He's not going to read it. No, like, Is anyone not. else surprised? Because, it, like, thinking back, I mean, I was, you know, a teenager whenever mm-hmm. they were together. But it she was made to look so terrible. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, he came out on top and, like, he was did. made to look so great. And he's admitted to that much. But he, yeah, but he's not great Mm-mm. like he's kind of garbage yeah and she was made to look like you know a psycho and she's not like she was a young girl that was sexualized and made to be you know not mm-hmm. just a young girl and then she had a delta that's so much pressure to put on someone that young yeah and then your whole office in the media and everything you do is judged Mm-hmm. that's that's just very sad that's yeah. very sad yeah, absolutely, but... I think me and my brother watched Crossroads about 50 billion times. 
I only saw it once, but I did go to the theater, the Dollar Theater, when that was a thing, and that's um, where I watched it. We went to the movies and watched it. My brother will never admit to this, but he was all about like the girl girl power movies, mm-hmm. the Spice World. Oh, I love Spice he World. He owned Spice World. That was not my copy of the VHS. <laughs> that was my brother's VHS. Yep, I love Spice World too, but I love Spice Girls. So yeah, me too. We all did. Mm-hmm. If you don't like Spice Girls, then. Brought me an email and told me why you don't like Spice Girls. Because <laughs> no one will ever change my mind that they are great. <laughs> okay. So, anyway. Uh, going to this week. So, this week, mm-hmm. I wanted to still do something creepy. Yay! But still true crimey. All right. And so, I I remember this case. Well, I don't remember the case because it happened before I was locked. But I remember seeing <laughs> it on Unsolved Mysteries. Okay. Like the Robert, Robert Stack Unsolved Mysteries yes, or the and, newer iterations? Yeah. So, yes, okay. it was a long time. Um, it's a little bit different than what I'm used to telling you. Okay. So, this week, I'm going to tell you the story of Teresita Bassa and how she solved her own murder. Oh, okay. Yes. And so, I read A Voice from the Grave by Carol Mercado, as well as several um, news articles about the case. Mm-hmm. But, as I mentioned, it was featured on Unsolved Mysteries yes. that you can find on YouTube. It's episode 19 of season two. It is one of the old ones with Robert Stack. Yay. And speaking of Robert Stack, I don't think I've shared this on the podcast before. And I I don't know if I've shared this with you. Okay. But it's about the first and truly only ghost that I remember having vivid, like vivid memories of seeing. Mm-hmm. Like I've heard things. I've felt things. Yes. But as far as, like, actually seeing someone, this is the only time I remember seeing a ghost. Mm-hmm. And when I was maybe five or so, my brother and I had gone with our um, papa. Yes, I'm from the South. I had a papa. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to, with our papa to our great-grandma's house, which was his mom. And then the side yard of her house was sort of like a sloping hill. Mm-hmm. That led down to an embankment, which dropped off into, like, a little stream. Yeah. So, my brother and I would start at the top of the hill and race down to the bottom to see if we could get there first, you know, because that's what we did. Um, but on this day, my pawpaw was actually sitting at the bottom of the little, like, embankment waiting for us. hmm So, we started running down the hill, which I ran... Like, for a skump until I was probably nine. <laughs> like, I specifically remember my mom telling me that, like, it's okay to bend your knees when you run. It probably feels better. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, anyway, we're running down the hill. And I stopped because standing behind my pawpaw, there was a man. Like, I made eye contact with this man. Mm-hmm. Stopped and stared at him. And I stared at him until my papa said my name. And then I glanced down at my papa. But when I looked back up, this man was gone. Uh Uh-huh. And so I told him and my brother what I saw. But they were like, Sam, nobody's here. Uh Uh-huh. Like, the man was not there. And the reason I bring this up is because this man looked exactly like Robert Stack. (laughs) Oh. It wasn't the ghost of Robert Stack because he did not die until 2003 and this happened like 15 years before that. Uh Uh-huh. 
And I don't know if I'm thinking this ghost. Like, I vividly remember him looking like Robert Stack. But I think <laughs> even as a child, just the sound of his voice, like, gave me the heebie-jeebies. Yes. So, in my mind, this man looked like him. Mm-hmm. But I vividly remember seeing this man standing behind my pawpaw, staring at me. But he was gone when I looked, like, down and then back up. And nobody else saw him but me. Wow. That's really cool. And this is also really scary, especially because you still don't know who it is, right? No, but nobody else saw him. Uh huh. And like we looked, there was no one down like the embankment. He couldn't have just gotten. I mean, and if he had jumped down the embankment, he would have been dirty and probably hurt himself. Yeah. But there was nobody there, mm-hmm. and I'm the only person that saw him. My brother was running towards my papa too and did not see this person. I was the only person <laughs> that saw him. So that was kind of creepy. Uh huh. And it was totally a ghost. Like for real, I really think it was a ghost. But I don't know who had been the spirit of, and it could have just been the spirit of someone not even related to you. Yeah, yeah, I I don't, I think it definitely probably was someone not related to me. Because when I explained that it looked like the man, because when I was five, I didn't know his name was Robert Stack. I was just like, I just saw the man from Unsolved yes. Mysteries. Yes, I was going to say, he's the Unsolved Mysteries man. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, nobody's here. Unsolved Mysteries man is not here. <laughs> so, okay, so as I mentioned, this case is a little bit different than the ones I generally tell you. So I'll start at the beginning and tell you as much as I was able to learn about Teresita Basso. Okay. So, Teresita was born in 1929 to her parents, Pedro and Socorro Bassa, in the Philippines. She was an only child. Her family was very wealthy and very well-known in the Philippines. And she grew up with a lot of friends. She was extremely intelligent, Mm -hmm. very well-educated. But she was also kind and gentle. And she was, like, truly, truly talented. She was an accomplished pianist. And she studied music at... St. Scholastica in Manila, and then she went on to study music at the Royal Conservatory of Music in London. Ooh, very nice. And then she taught music at a university in the Philippines. Yay! But at some point in the mid-60s, Teresita's father became sick with some some form of a respiratory disease, and that changed the trajectory of Teresita's life. Mm -hmm. After her father passed away, she went back to school and switched paths paths from being a music professor to become a respiratory therapist oh wow that's quite the occupation Mm -hmm. change yeah yeah completely different Mm -hmm. field and then teresita moved from the philippines to chicago illinois at some point in the late 60s and took a job as a respiratory therapist at edgewater hospital so outside of work Teresita was known by her neighbors and her friends as generous and thoughtful and kind. Her, like, her love of music, even though she, sw- she switched fields, never went away. And so she would teach children in her apartment complex how to play the piano. Aww. In February of 1977, Teresita was 47 years old, and she lived on the 15th floor of the Pine Grove Apartments in Chicago. And she seemed to be really happy living a life, like, according to her friends and family. She frequently spent time with her friends and her family, mm-hmm. um, specifically her cousin Ron Samara, who also happened to be living in Chicago at the time. Mm-hmm. She kind of just did her own thing. Teresita was never married. She never had kids. Um, so she is living what I imagine to be my life in the next, like, 15 years. <laughs> As you say, I can in, relate. Like, yeah, if you add in, like, a few cats. <laughs> so on February 21st, 1977, Teresita, Teresita finished her day shift at Edgewater Hospital, and she rode the bus back to her apartment complex. Around 7.30 that evening... Teresita received a phone call from her friend Ruth Loeb, 
And she mentioned that she had a friend coming over, but she didn't go into much detail about this friend or why mm-hmm. they were coming over. Okay. Uh, Ruth and Teresita spoke about Teresita's day, and she voiced frustra- frustration about her shift at work mm-hmm. because she felt that her supervisor was kind of overloading her with like really difficult emergency cases. Uh-huh. And while that really isn't fair to Teresita, um, because I do imagine being a respiratory therapist is probably physically and mentally and emotionally draining. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it speaks volumes about what a wonderful respiratory therapist she was and yeah. that her um, her supervisor wanted her to be the one working with these extremely sick people. Mm-hmm. So the call ended when Teresita heard a knock at the door and she told Ruth, like, my friend must have arrived. You know, we'll talk later. So they said goodbye and said they would chat again soon. About 8.30 that evening, Chicago Fire Department received a call from the Pine Grove Apartments indicating there was smoke seeping out from under the door of apartment 15B. And when they arrived at the apartment complex, they were really concerned about not being able to carry all their heavy equipment up to the 15th floor of this apartment complex. And that put, you know, a lot of people in danger. They were worried they wouldn't be able to reach the person in the apartment, Mm -hmm. as well as anybody that could be trapped on the floors above floor 15. Yeah. Like, ew, th- even thinking about that gives me, like, Oh, really, it does me, too. Like, it's so oh, no. terrible. No. Like, we have these high-rise buildings, and yet, if there's a fire, <laughs> the equipment's so heavy to get where it needs to yeah. get to. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, when the fire chief got to the 15th floor, he placed his hand on the door, and it was just warm. It wasn't hot, which indicated to him, in his years of experience, that the fire was probably centralized in one location in the apartment mm-hmm. and not spread everywhere. So... The group of firefighters entered apartment 15B, and they were actually able to extinguish the fire with just their um, their hand sprayers. Fire extinguishers? Yeah, like the their hand pumps. Oh, okay, okay. So they were able to get it out, and then they opened the windows to let some of the smoke start filtering mm-hmm. out. Which, another side story, a couple years ago, this is, I don't deep fry anything because... We had to call the fire department because I almost burned my mom's house down mm-hmm. trying to make um, homemade French fries. Mm-hmm. And that's how I learned that if oil gets too hot, it will burst into a flame. Yes. And I did not know that. And I had <laughs> my back turned and I heard a pop and mm-hmm. I turned around and there was like flames everywhere all over one side of my mom's kitchen. And we had to call the fire department. And then we had to call, well, I say we, I was in college at the time uh, (laughs) and I was home on Christmas break. My mother had to call in professional cleaners to Mm -hmm. clean the smoke off the walls because my mom has white walls in her house, which Mm -hmm. turned a very lovely shade of dark gray. Mm -hmm. It had filtered all the way up the stairs into the bedrooms upstairs. It was a nightmare. And that was just, like, one tiny little fire. So, I can't imagine, like, having a fire in, like, an apartment. Yeah, that would, whoo. Yes. So, just a bit of warning. If you guys don't know, if oil, if grease gets too hot, it will catch on fire. So, mm-hmm. be careful. Um, the apartment didn't appear to be in disarray. And they were quickly able to determine the source and the location of the fire. There was a mattress that was on fire in the middle of the floor. And when they put the fire out and moved the mattress, the firefighters discovered a badly burned body laying under the mattress. 
Police detectives were called to the scene immediately, and upon further investigation, they discovered that the fire had not been the cause of death of this person that they found. Mm -hmm. There was a knife that had been stabbed deep into the chest of the victim. (gasps) Good grief, and already the murder happened. Yeah, the fire had been set to try to cover up any evidence that may have been left behind. Mm Mm-hmm. Although the body was badly burned, police were able to see the body was female. She was nude, and she was left in a sexually suggestive position, which led investigators to believe that she had most likely been raped. Mm-hmm. The body would later be positively identified as Teresita Bassa. Ugh. Later, detectives Lee Eplin and Joseph Stahula... So, it's spelled... Like, Stachula. Uh-huh. But in the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, they repeatedly pronounced his last name as Stahula. Okay. And he didn't object, so that's how I'm going to pronounce his yes. last name. Um, but they begin their investigation by looking at the evidence collected from Teresita's apartment and speaking to her family and friends. But there wasn't much evidence to be recovered from her apartment. Her apartment was clean, like it was lived in. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like it was ransacked. Yeah. It was evident that the person that was there most likely knew Teresita mm-hmm. and had gone there with the intention of killing her. Um, the only thing they really found was a note that Teresita had written that, that was like a little memo for her like to get tickets for, for A.S. So get tickets for someone with the initials of A.N.S. Which at this point could be anyone. But yes. So Eplin and Stahulo were not... Um, sure who A.S. was. And in speaking with Teresita's friends and family, they all said the same thing. Teresita didn't have any enemies. She was kind. She lived a pretty quiet life. Mm-hmm. Um, her social life didn't include going out to clubs. And this was pre-internet. So she, the idea that like she had met someone online was not even a thought nope. that would cross their mind. It wasn't mind. a thing. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, one day in like 50 years, we're going to have to be worried about this. Mm-hmm. They hoped they had found a good lead when they were contacted by Teresita's lawyer. He told them they may want to check out a a young kid that used to work, like do work for him around his house. And the young guy had actually met Teresita on a few occasions when Teresita had been at her lawyer's house going over immigration paperwork. Uh Uh-huh. It seems that the young kid had gotten into some kind of trouble with the police. And um, when Teresita was murdered, her lawyer mentioned his name to authorities Uh, there wasn't any indication that i could find that it had been like a negative in like um interaction between sarasita and this kid just the fact that this kid had been in trouble with police before okay lawyer was like i'm gonna give him his name which Mm -hmm. i don't necessarily agree with but that's a different story yeah i don't i don't Um, know i'd like i feel like he's trying to do good but i don't don't see what would come from that yeah um, Eplin and Stahula went to speak with the kid, but he was quickly ruled out as a viable suspect. He wasn't even in the country at the time Teresita nope. was murdered. So, with this lead kind of leading nowhere, movement on Teresita's case was kind of at a standstill for the next six months. Mm-hmm. And then when they did get a lead, it would require them to open their minds and accept information from a source that they didn't think was possible. Okay. So, Remy Bias Chua... Uh, she went by Remy. She was known as Remy by her friends. Was a 38 year old respiratory therapist, also working at Edgewater Hospital, also from the Philippines. Mm-hmm. She and Teresita knew each other in passing, but they weren't close friends, and they tended to work different shifts at the hospital. She found out Teresita had been murdered, basically the same way her colleagues had. 
Um, and they all knew the murder was unsolved. And I'm sure it was weighing on everybody at the hospital that a member of their team had been murdered so brutally. Brimmy typically worked third shift at Edgewater and Teresita worked first shift. So sometimes it, they would like overlap, yeah. you know, cl- mm-hmm. coming in. In the weeks after Teresita's murder, Remy had been pulling over Tom because she and her husband were in the process of buying another home, and they had three or four kids. So one evening during during a particularly grueling shift, uh, Remy took solace in one of the locker rooms just to like sit down and close her eyes for a minute. Mm-hmm. So she sat down in a chair and she closed her eyes, but then she began to get the feeling that she wasn't alone. Like, she felt like she was being watched. Yes. I think we all know how eerie that is. Like, you, your body, it's like your body can see it mm-hmm. without you actually having your eyes open. I was getting ready to say, we have all experienced this. Yeah. And I full-heartedly believe that if you feel like you are being watched, it is because you are being watched. Yeah, take a look around. Be aware of your surroundings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so, as Remy opened her eyes, she was completely in shock to see Teresita Bossa standing in front of her. Teresita wasn't transparent, But she was kind of shrouded in, like, a white light. Mm -hmm. Um, Neither Remy or Teresita said anything. And for a moment, Remy just sat there staring at Teresita. But then she was, like, probably thinking, holy shit, Teresita's dead. Mm -hmm. And so she got up and ran out of the locker room. But then things only started to get weirder after that. Okay. So in the weeks after Teresita had visited Remy, Remy had several of the hospital staff say that several of the words or phrases that Remy was using sounded like something that Teresita would say. Mm-hmm. And they were words and phrases that Remy hadn't used prior to seeing Teresita in the locker room. Oh, okay. There was one instance when Remy was boarding an elevator and she and another coworker were going to different floors. Mm-hmm. So the male coworker had told her, you know, I've been questioned by police. But they were questioning, you know, everybody they were. Mm-hmm. that knew Teresita. And he had worked much more closely with Teresita than Remy had. Mm-hmm. So as he's getting off of the elevator, he t- told Ter- um, Remy, like, I didn't kill Teresita. Yeah. And Remy looked at him and said, you didn't do it. I know you didn't do it. But she couldn't explain how she knew that he mm-hmm. didn't do it. So after this, Remy... She began having difficulty sleeping. It seemed like every time she closed her eyes, she would see Teresita's face. There were several nights where she would lay in bed and she would begin to smell smoke like she was choking. Uh-huh. And it was so real that many times she would get up thinking like there's something on fire in the house. Mm-hmm. Her husband, Dr. Jose Chua, he began noticing that Remy was very short with their children and very snappy and she seemed extremely anxious. Whereas in the past, she'd always been really patient. Uh-huh. And he just attributed it to her working long hours at the hospital and just being anxious about, like, having to move and pack with working, you know, 12 to 16-hour shifts and having three or four kids at home. Like, that's a lot of pressure on anybody. It is. It's, it's a whole lot. Yeah. So, one afternoon, Dr. Chua gets a call while he's at work at the hospital. And basically, the call was like, you need to come home. Remy's not feeling well. Mm-hmm. So when he arrived at home, he found Remy laying in bed after she had given her parents quite a fright. 
So apparently Remy had called her mother and father and told her mom, like, I'm not feeling well. So her mom tells her dad, like, something's wrong with Remy. We need to go yeah. check on Remy and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So when they get to Remy's house, they walk to Remy's bedroom and they see Remy coming towards them with her arms outstretched mm-hmm. and her face is like beet red. Okay. But then all of a sudden her arms were flung up over her head and it's like she was pulled back to the bed and her body just went rigid. And this is how Dr. Chua found her when he walked in. Uh huh. So he goes over to her because clearly she is in distress. Um, and it, he is very, very scared. And so Remy opened her mouth and began to speak. But the voice that came out was not Remy's voice. Okay. And the voice said, I am Teresita Bassa, Dr. Chua. I would like to ask for help from you. Up to this time, nothing has been done in regards to the man who killed me. And so, again, this voice was not Remy's. Mm-hmm. And the voice that came out was speaking Spanish. Mm-hmm. Remy didn't speak Spanish, but Teresita had known Spanish because that was one of the languages used where she was from. Uh-huh. Um, so, the voice begged him for help. It said, a man came into my apartment and choked me and then stabbed me. But then after that, like, Remy kind of snapped out of it and the air in the room felt lighter. Mm-hmm. And Remy just said she was thirsty, but she didn't remember anything that had just happened. Wow. That's because the it's because Teresita had used all the energy she had at that moment. Yeah. So, super creepy. Mm-hmm. Though the whole like jerking back and arms over the head thing that oh the description in the book is so creepy mm-hmm. like I had to put it down for a minute and I was like oh okay like it gave you full body chills reading that yes I mean it gives me chills just to imagine that yeah so I when you finish I got more to say about that yeah <sighs> so two days later Remy was in the middle of making a phone call when she felt a sharp pain in the middle of her chest. Mm-hmm. Her mother, who had basically been staying at the house since this first incident, went to Remy's side um, and asked, like, what's wrong? And Remy hung up the phone and said, Teresita is here again. And that was, like, extremely frightening for anybody that witnessed it. So, um, Dr. Chua, he had been outside, and Remy's dad went out and was like, hey, something's happening. You Mm -hmm. need to come back in. (laughs) Um, So, he went back in, and he found Remy in bed. And this time, the same voice came back and had asked Dr. Chua if he had gone to the police yet. Now, Dr. Chua, like, he fully believed that Remy was being possessed by the spirit mm-hmm. of Teresita. Um, but he was a doctor. He was also very science-based. Yes. And so he knew, like, if I go to the police, I can't just be like, hey, uh, my wife is being possessed mm-hmm. and this is what's going on. Like, he actually needed a little bit more proof. Mm-hmm. So this time, Dr. Chua told the voice like he hadn't gone to the police. He said he needed um, more proof before he could go to the police. Yeah. Um, you know, he's like, I can't just go and be like, a murder victim has possessed my wife and is asking for help. Exactly. And yeah, she's asking for help. You know, she told him how she died. And unfortunately, at that point, you know, aside from, at least from the choking, I can't. I don't think you said anything about that before. Yeah. Because it was just the burning of the stab. You know, there's not a lot you could do with that. Yeah. And they're like, we, we know. Yeah. <laughs> Give me more. This time, the voice said that a man named Alan, a friend of hers from the hospital, had killed her after she let him into her apartment. Okay, now that's something to go by. Uh, But after that, the voice was gone, and Remy had no recollection of what had happened. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 
as one might imagine, like I said, Dr. Chua and Remy were extremely hesitant to go to the police with just that information. I mean, they can't just go and be like, Teresita said that a man named Alan killed her. Mm-hmm. Like, that just isn't enough information. No. So, the final time that Teresita came through Remy, Dr. Chua told her that he would need more information than just a name before he went to investigators. And Teresita, like, the voice of Teresita was kind of getting, like, mad. Like, why mm-hmm. haven't you gone to the police yet? Like, she yeah. was very forceful. Like, I need your help. Mm-hmm. So, this time, Teresita gave him quite a bit of information. She said that the voice, or the voice said that a man named Alan Showery was the murderer and that he'd stolen some of Teresita's jewelry and given it to his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Along with, um, you know, like a, a jewelry box. Yeah. So the voice also provided names of some of Teresita's cousins and friends along with their phone numbers. Wow. And said that they would be able to identify the jewelry that Alan had stolen. Mm-hmm. And the final words that were spoken by the voice told Dr. Chua that Alan had come into Teresita's house and then he burned her. So when Remy returned back to herself, Dr. Chua told her what the voice had relayed. And Dr. Chua felt this was enough proof because he was well aware that there was a man named Alan Showery that worked at Edgewater Hospital. And he also knew that Alan Showery gave many of the women that worked at the hospital the heebie-jeebies, including his wife, Remy, because Uh she had complained about how creepy Alan was. Oh, goodness. That's another thing. When people say, especially a group of people are saying this person is creepy, that person is creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I I would really have loved to have been there during mm-hmm. the meeting between the Chua's and doc, uh, Detective Stahula when they were like, hey, <laughs> this is what's going on. Yes. And honestly, when you were telling me that, I'm like, and I'm glad because I fully believe she gave him all the information, but yeah. was he taking notes? Like, did he write all the numbers down? Which... I mean, today, if a ghost is giving phone numbers, none of us are going to remember it. No, you better pull your phone out. <laughs> exactly. And be like, hey, can I just record this really quick? Exactly. I won't put it online. I just need to remember the phone numbers. Uh-huh. So, Detective Stahula actually went to the Chua's homes because he was giving a message, given a message from another police department like, hey, these people may have information about the murder of mm-hmm. Teresita Bassa. So, when Detective Stahula... Asked Dr. Chua how he knew Teresita and about the information he had to share. Dr. Chua said, um, well, I actually don't know Teresita. My wife knew Teresita. And the only information that I have to share about Teresita's murder is what Teresita has told me. Mm-hmm. And this probably made Dr. Or Detective Stahula ask Dr. Chua, like, um, she told you who murdered her? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I feel like even in TV shows and on all the other... Mm, missed true crime shows that i have watched where psychics or anyone who is coming on behalf of a dead person tells them information they're very skeptical and yeah the unsolved mysteries recreation of this i remember it and it gave me nightmares it was very scary Mm -hmm. um so dr chua and remy went over everything that had been happening remy told him like you know i have been smelling smoke i've been seeing teresita's face um so when he got back to the station, Detective Stahula, he asked for a record search to be done on Alan Showery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was discovered that Alan Showery had actually been arrested twice for rape in the past. Mm. And he definitely knew Teresita from work. Not only that, he didn't live that far away from her. Uh-oh. Yeah. 
And then another bit of information that made detectives to Hula be like, they really know mm-hmm. like what happened to Teresita. Yeah. Is that doc- detectives to Hula had asked Dr. Chua if Tara said it, Teresita said anything about being raped. And Dr. Chua said, no, the only thing the voice told me was that they had been stabbed and choked and set on fire. Mm-hmm. And this information was enough to, like, to really think, make detectives to like, understand that they knew. Mm-hmm. Because in, while initially police believed Teresita had been raped, the autopsy report revealed that she had not. Mm-hmm. So the public is still thinking that she had been, yeah. sexually, like she'd been sexually assaulted. But the fact that Dr. Chua said she'd only been choked and stabbed was very, like, convincing information that nobody else mm-hmm. knew. So, detectives Stahula and Eplum went to speak with Alan Showery at his apartment, where his very pregnant girlfriend answered the door. And when they saw how pregnant his girlfriend was, I think they were just kind of like, we need to talk to him, like, all away from here. Yeah. So, they asked if he would go down to the police station, and he agreed to go speak with them about Teresita. And he agreed that on the day Teresita was killed, he and Teresita had taken the same bus after work. Mm-hmm. He said that he was supposed to have fixed her TV, but she told him she needed to do a bit of shopping first. So then he said he went to get a drink and just lost track of time and never called Teresita back. Um, he said that he'd ne- never been in Teresita's apartment. But then when investigators were like, are you sure you've never been in her apartment? He was like, well... Maybe. Maybe. But, it, but it's been like months. Yeah, it's either yes or no. And then they were like, okay, well, if we check for fingerprints, since it's been for months and Teresita was clean, like, we shouldn't find your, your fingerprints in her apartment. And then he was like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I was actually there on the day she was killed, but I didn't have the right equipment to fix her TV. So I left, and then I went to get a drink and lost track of time, and I never went back. Mm-hmm. But when... Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... So when they went to speak with Alan's girlfriend, she said that he came home that evening. However, she said she had left around 7.30 and then left him home alone. Mm-hmm. And when she was asked if Alan had ever done any electrical work around their house, she was like, no, he doesn't know how to do any kind of electrical work. <laughs> so she really was not the alibi that he was hoping she would have no, been. which I mean, good for her. Yeah. And then when she was asked if Alan had ever given her any expensive jewelry... His girlfriend stated that Alan had actually given her two pieces of jewelry sometime between late February and June as belated Christmas gifts. Oh. You're about two to six months late, Alan. <laughs> yes. And you couldn't you didn't scrounge up. I mean, where he works at like a medical facility, right? Yeah. Even though he was he do we know like was he just like I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't or... matter the pro, like the price of the gift. Exactly. It's the thought behind it. Yes, but, but you can not scrounge up one gift near Christmas. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about you two to six months after mm-hmm. while you're carrying my child. Mm-hmm. Now you can get a Christmas present. I would have been like, uh, sir, no thank you. <laughs> I don't want it. No. It's like, that, I'm an afterthought. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, one of the gifts that he had given her was a jewelry box filled with a few odds and ends. There was an antique cocktail ring with a pearl in the center that kind of looked like a family heirloom. Mm-hmm. Um, this ring, along with a few pieces of jewelry from the jewelry box, including a jade pendant, will later be identified as belonging to Teresita by one of her cousins and one of her friends. Like, when they walked in and saw... Mm-hmm. Um, 
Alan's girlfriend wearing the ring, they were like, that's Teresita's ring. Like, she wore that all the time. Yes. So, and it was just like Teresita said they would. Yeah. So, investigators confronted Alan Showery with this information, and he eventually confessed to the murder of Teresita Bossa. He said that on the evening Teresita was murdered, he was scheduled to fix her TV. Like, mm-hmm. that was a true statement. He said that when he got back, when he went to her apartment, they got there around 5.30. But when he took the back off the TV, he realized that he wasn't 100% certain how to fix it. (laughs) So he told her he had a similar one back at home and he needed to go back there to get like the schematics so he could fix it for her. Mm -hmm. But on his way back home and then on the way back to Teresita's, he decided he was going to kill her. Um, He said he'd heard stories about how wealthy she was and how wealthy her family was. And he, you know, assumed that because she would pay anyone that helped her run errands, you know, because she is, like, a good person and she's paying people that actually help her, Mm -hmm. um, he assumed that she had a lot of money. But she lived in an apartment. (laughs) Yeah, but this was the 70s, like... Yeah, I guess it's true. And, I mean, I'm mid to late 30s and I live in an apartment and I'm not married. <laughs> I mean, I'm not wealthy, but true. I don't, you know, owning a home is not indicative this is also, of this is true. wealth. True. So he said that as soon as Teresita turned her back to him to lock the door, he immediately attacked her. He choked her and knocked her out. And then he stabbed her Ooh. before disrobing her. And he purposely positioned her body in the way that he did to make investigators think that she had been raped. He stole what little money he could find, and, you know, he, he didn't see anything in the apartment he wanted to take. In total, he stole the several pieces of jewelry and got $30 wow. from Terry. So, essentially, he killed someone for $30. Yeah. Yep. So, on January 21st, 1979, Alan Showery's trial began, and it lasted for about six weeks. The jury couldn't come to a consensus of guilt or innocence, and a mistrial was announced. Are you kidding? Yeah. Thankfully, Teresita's friends and family and the Chuas would not have to sit through another trial because just two days after the mistrial was mm-hmm. announced, Alan Showery decided to plead guilty to the murder of Teresita Bassa. Good. He was sentenced to 14 years in prison for murder and then four years each for arson and armed robbery. Um, but he didn't serve 14 years. He was granted parole after five years. What? Yeah. I tried to find out what happened to him after he was released, but I couldn't find anything. Um, and then the Chua's after the trial, cause they were very hesitant to go to the police. They were both very like in the medical field. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't want to go to authorities with this information because they didn't think that they would be yeah. believed, which is completely understandable. Mm-hmm. Like that would be very difficult to believe that you've been possessed by someone that you truly didn't know all that well. Mm-hmm. Like why would she pick you to tell her story? Mm-hmm. Um, so they tried to stay out of the spotlight. They weren't doing it for notoriety or press. No. They weren't doing it for like reward money. They were simply doing it because they wanted to help Teresita, and this was, like, causing a lot of um, stress for them. Yeah. Like, it was very scary to have mm-hmm. this happening to them. Um, but they weren't trying to get any kind of, like, book deals. Nope. They weren't trying to go on TV. They weren't trying to do, like, a press circuit. They didn't even want to, like, go on, on stand at trial. Mm-hmm. Um, so, after that, I, you know, they kind of stayed out of the spotlight. And I didn't try to look them up because they want... To be left alone. Yeah. And I don't, you know, 
they did. You want to respect that? Yeah, they did what they thought they should do. Mm-hmm. And and it led to the arrest, the conviction. Yeah, and a lot of people were like, mm, you know, people who were skeptical about it were like, maybe Remy had overheard him confess, or you know. But I don't think that Remy would have known the details. Yeah. Remy, you don't start just speaking another language that you've never spoken before. No, trust me, I've tried and it doesn't work that way. No, no. Um, like the voice was just different. Her mannerisms were completely mm-hmm. different. Well, and if you it, heard someone confess, why would you not just say, hey, I was in this room when person X was here and he was totally bragging about this murder yeah, instead exactly. of saying I was possessed, essentially. Yeah, yeah, because they were very concerned about being seen as, you know, mm-hmm. like weirdos exactly. or whatever. Exactly, I would be too. Yeah, I would, yeah. And so they didn't want to be seen as like um, like a laughing stock or mm-hmm. they were potentially worried because this was the 70s and like... Things still aren't great for people who are not from the U.S. that immigrate here. No. So they were still both very worried how that would make them look as, you know, having... Because they hadn't been in the United States very long from the Philippines. And they were really worried mm-hmm. that people would be, you know, mean to them because they were from another country. And then they were having this, you know, story which sounds, you know, cr- hard to believe. Yeah. Um, but it's very well documented, mm-hmm. you know, on... Police record, this is how Teresita's murder was solved. And then after um, Alan Shower was arrested, Teresita never visited again. Remy never had any other occurrences with anyone else. Mm-hmm. It was just this. Wow. That's a, I mean, that's, it's honestly, the word I'm thinking of, it's amazing. Yeah. She really did. She solved her own murder. Yeah. Or not even like really solved it. She made sure the murderer was caught because she knew who it was. Yeah. And it, I think it's really cool. Like, I can't, I can imagine how terrified Remy would be like to be like, have that experience and her, like mm-hmm. her parents and Dr. Chua to see that. Yes. But I think it's great that they were all so supportive mm-hmm. and like 100% believed her and wanted to help. Yeah. That they could have easily taken the route of she is becoming mentally ill. She needs help. Yeah, they and they put their reputations on the line mm-hmm. to do what was right for someone else. I think that's really neat. Yes, yes. Um, and and I do wonder, like, I have some theories of why Teresita would choose her. Because, like I said, she didn't know her that well, mm-mm. correct? Correct, yeah. Um, but I have heard a theory about spirits in the afterlife that before they move on, they could see those people who are more heightened with like a sixth sense type oh yeah gift. receptive of it mm-hmm. and remy and teresita did have similar backgrounds both mm-hmm. coming from um the philippines and they were really only you know 10 or so years apart mm-hmm. so um yes yeah, that's, it's so like it's so i i remember this from unsolved mysteries mm-hmm. and then i found out um was it a couple months ago that her name was teresita bossa and then um When I knew we were doing, like, spooky stuff for Halloween, I was like, okay, I have to get this book. I have to read this book. Um, So, yeah, if you want to watch that episode of Unsolved Mysteries, it is Season 2, Episode 19, and it's available on YouTube. Okay. It's super creepy. Yes. But, yeah, that's the story of Teresita Bassa. That that is super awesome. I mean, it is not super awesome that she died and no, had to catch her killer, but the fact that she was able to like I love that story. I think it is a really good proof of the supernatural existing. Yeah. Um, you know, regardless regardless of what you be believe about life after death. I believe after once he was caught and whatnot, you know, 
Remy she, never had any more experiences that Teresita passed on. And like, she, she was able to find light. peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's cool. Like Teresita was kind of just like a badass in life. Like she did her own thing. She mm-hmm. was super smart. Yes. She like, you know, lived life the way that she wanted to. She didn't try mm-hmm. to fit into the stereotype of like, you have to be married. You have to have kids to have a successful and fulfilling life. Yes. She was like, I'm doing this on my own. I'm going to get my own place. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. And then when this mother... Alan Showery came and you know she was like oh hell no you're not gonna do that Mm -hmm. no and she kicked his ass from the other side she did and I okay that totally brings me it's such a great segue to what I wanted to say because you know god forbid if anyone ever like killed me like my thought was always like I am gonna be their personal poltergeist and every horror movie on earth will not compare to what I will do to that person Beetlejuice (laughs) who But she took a different route, though. It is really interesting that, you know, she kind of used possession to get out and get the murderer caught. That's super interesting. As opposed to just, like, writing messages, you know, which is still haunting. Like, I believe Remy was being haunted, but for a reason. Like, this was not a I-want-your-soul type haunting. No, it was like, please help me. And I I mean, I I feel like that's much more. That's going to get... I know that if you were to start speaking in a voice that was not your own, <laughs> yes. that would get me more, um, catch my attention more than if I just saw a message like written in the mirror, like, help me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably just be like, Shane, stop. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Like, don't write, don't write me a message in the mirror. I'm not really going to believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there is one way to get someone's attention and that is possessing them and speaking in mm-hmm. your voice out of their mouth. Yes, plus, you know, I will take out, my, like, I have my contacts out, and so I won't be able to see clearly in the mirror, so I'll just, like, rub it away when I get ready to shave <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and miss your message. Yeah, so we're not asking to be possessed. No, absolutely If you're trying to get not. our attention, don't just leave us a message in the mirror. No, no, <laughs> because it probably won't be read, and if it does, we're going to blame it on each other. And please don't mess with the TV when, when our favorite TV shows are on, because we're just no. going to get pissed. We're not going to pay attention. Exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, that's the story. That's that's really cool. I'm glad you told that one. I like it. I think it totally fits for October. Yeah. And that was really, it was cool to hear about. Yeah. So, anyway. Yes. We hope you guys enjoyed that story. If you want to reach out, chat with us, you know, tell us what you think of this one, suggest other future stories. We'll be happy to hear those suggestions. You can find us on Instagram at Monsters and Murder Pod. You can send us an email at monstersandmurderpod at gmail.com. And you can look me up on TikTok. I'm Shane Lee Miller 11. I will produce some more podcast content soon. Yeah. And maybe a dance or two. Maybe. (laughs) You know, there are, I don't know a lot of other trends. Like a lot of the trends are like the filters and questions or pranks, which I'm not really going to do pranks. Those go way too far in my opinion. Yeah. Pranks are only funny if no one gets hurt. Exactly. Or like emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. Yeah. People should not be getting hurt in a prank. It should be funny. Exactly. Like maybe the fart spray or ugly baby prank. That would be fun. The fart spray is actually kind of funny. (laughs) It's it's not funny, but there is a part of me that is kind of like I want to know what it smells like. Oh God, no! Do I not mean, I would gag. I'm, okay. I'm not going to. I would do it to like my siblings. Do we remember the um? What was it? The jelly beans? What were they called? Yes. Yeah. The, um, bean boozle. Bean bo- Yeah, you were gagging when you got like yes. the, the milk. Oh, I, I would be <laughs> That would be my exact thing. But like, I would want to do it to my brother. <laughs> Or, you know, I know Sydney's listening. We should do it to Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yes. But, but yes, look me up on TikTok. It's it's fun. I do a lot of different things. And then I do some things for the podcast. Yeah. I have been addicted to this um, on Instagram. The user Twisted Pennywise. And it's 
a man in cosplay mm-hmm. as Pennywise doing these dances. And I have found that I'm oddly attracted to Pennywise. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> so, anyway, with uh, that TikTok. bit of information, <laughs> stay safe, everybody. Yes, stay safe. <laughs> Bye. Bye.